Okay, Bokeh Tov to everybody. My name is uh, Natty Helfgott. I'm visiting from the States, and uh, it's uh, very, um, it's very miragesh. It's very uh, emotional for me to be teaching here today. Uh, I studied at the yeshiva 30 years ago, uh, before there was a michlel at Herzog, before this entire uh, complex even existed, and um, it's very, very emotional to come back and teach here, and uh, it's wonderful to see many familiar faces. Um, I am uh, I'm the chair of the Department of Tanakh at uh, Yeshivat Chovei Torah, YCT Rabbinical School in New York City. Uh, I also teach at SAR High School, and I'm a rabbi in Teaneck. And um, my first love is Tanakh, and uh, this is uh, it's a very, very big treat to teach here as well. And uh, really, it's wonderful. Kolakavot to all of you who spent take away time to come to learn Tanakh. This morning, what I'd like to learn with you is... Uh, chapter 31, Perak Lamed Aleph of Sefer Yirmiyahu, of the book of Jeremiah. Um, and uh, I'd like to focus specifically on the part that we read as a haftarah on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is just around the block, so I just want to focus on that. Just a couple of caveats at the beginning. Number one, if there's anything you don't understand, if I uh, say something that's unclear, uh, please ask, please do not be... Uh, uh, embarrassed to ask a question. Uh, that's the Eloha by Sean Lomate. If I say that I have to cover some ground, then I'll talk to, talk about it later. So please respect that. Also, we can talk at the break, so we can cover the material that uh, they asked me to teach. Number one. Number two. Uh, so I'm not going to translate everything. I assume a certain level of knowledge. If I'm wrong, you'll tell me that that I'm wrong. And uh, okay. And uh, we'll try to understand things. We're also going to be doing some flipping back and forth in Tanakh because that's uh, the only way I know how to learn Tanakh, so uh, please uh, please try to follow along, and if uh, if not, you can get some of it afterwards. Okay, so let's start uh, at the beginning. First of all, I put on the blackboard, and I'm going to say it out loud, uh, a basic structure of Sefer Yirmiyahu, the book of Jeremiah, and then I want to focus on the part that we are, I left specifically something blank in order to focus on what we're going to do today. Sefer Yirmiyahu, the book of Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, just to get us our bearings, Yirmiyahu lived... Uh, basically, and functioned basically between 625 to 570 BCE. He lived at a critical point juncture in Jewish history. He lived at the time when, uh, unfortunately, uh, Judah was on the way out. They had the last chance. It's like if you use a basketball metaphor, it was the fourth quarter, and they were down by 20, and they had a last chance to come back and save uh, the Jewish people and the Beit HaMikdash, and unfortunately... It was not successful, and the Churban, the destruction happened. And Jeremiah describes the Churban, but he also describes the 25 years prior to the Churban, prior to the destruction, and what he tried to do to help the people, and to try to push the people to connect back to God, to come back to the covenant, to recognize that fighting Babylon was a, a lost cause, and they should try to make peace with Babylon, and it could save what they could save. So there were theological, religious, political overtones to the book of Jeremiah. Um, so look, just to, in terms of the structure of the book, so I put on the blackboard, the first 25 chapters of the book of Yirmiyahu basically describe his tochachot, his reproof, his nivuot, his prophecies of tshuva, of trying to move the people back to God, of trying to have them recognize their religious hypocrisy. Some very famous nivuot occur in that chapter. Chapter 26 through 29 are narrative, which describe the Ma'avakei Hanavi, the conflicts 
of the Navi. What do I mean by that? Chapter 26 is the great trial of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is put on trial. Just like in, Jew, in history, we know about great trials in history, right? The trial of Socrates, the trial of Jesus, different trials. So, Mavakeha Navi, the Mavake, the conflicts the Navi had, and the conflicts that he had with the false prophets. This all occurs in chapter 26 through 29. Chapter 34 through 50, excuse me, chapter 34 through 45 are the chapters that describe the actual last days of Jerusalem, the narrative hachurban, the narrative of the destruction, including the aftermath of the destruction, which we know as, for example, the story of the assassination of Gedalia ben Achikam, Som Gedalia. All that material occurs in chapter 34 through 45. The last major section of the book of Jeremiah is Perak Memvav through Nunalif, 46 through 51, which are Nivuot al Hagoyim, which are the, what they call in fancy English, the oracles on the nations, the prophecies about the nations and the history. Every major book in Tanakh, Yeshayahu, Yirmiyahu, Yechezkel, has a section of the book which are 10 or 12, sometimes 15 Nivuot on the various nations surrounding Am Yisrael, Bavel, Ashur, uh, Moab, Midian, and this is the stuff that we all skip in school. Nobody teaches it in school, in day school, in high school, because it's quote-unquote boring. But it's not really boring, but relative to like the exciting stuff, you know, about Yirmiyahu being put on trial and almost killed, if you have to make a choice, teaching, you're going to teach that rather than a very complex nevuah about Elam or about Ashur. Finally, we have the Siyum, we have the conclusion, which is a redux of the Khurban of the Perak about the Khurban. I skipped on purpose the middle, because the middle is what we're going to talk about today. Nivuot Hanechama. Stuck right in the middle of the book, right before the actual Khurban Habayit, is the prophecies of redemption. To use the rabbinic phrase, this is Rifu'ah Kodem Lemakah. This is the salve, the medicine before the destruction. Right before we go into the narrative of the destruction, we have the beautiful nechamot of nevuot, uh, the beautiful nevuot, prophecies of redemption. But notice they're very small. <laughs> they're only three or four chapters, which is rooted in the fact that Jeremiah is fundamentally a prophet of doom, not a prophet of redemption. Yes? Nechama, I understand, is consolation. Consolation. Using it as redemption. redemption and consolation. So we'll do both. It does. It not not a big deal yet. Okay. So now, just to show you, and I want you to understand the structure. Everybody, please turn to the first chapter of the book of Yirmiyahu. What we read last week as a haftarah. It's ve- already at the very beginning. There's a very subtle indication that Jeremiah is fundamentally a prophet of doom rather than a prophet of redemption. But there is some consolation and redemption. If you look in Perak Aleph of Sefer Yirmiyahu, chapter 1, verse 9, when God tells him his mission, Mike is not off. Mike is not off. Sorry. If you look in the, uh, in Perak Aleph, Pasuk Tet, when God gives him his Shlichut, if you'll notice, 
there are four verbs of destruction, lintosh, to uproot, lintots, to destroy, lahavid, to get rid of, laharos, to destroy, and then, livnot v'limtoa, four verbs of destruction, two verbs of redemption, to build and to plant, which is, of course is already reflective of most of this book is going to be about lintosh v'limtots, and some of the book is going to be about livnot v'limtoa, to build and to plant. That's already reflective, already at the beginning of his mission, of the nature of the book of Yirmiyahu. So now when we turn to the middle of the Sefer, to Perak Lamid, and we're going to focus in like a laser beam in a few seconds on Lamid Aleph, on Perak Lamid Aleph. Perak Lamid begins with these beautiful um, uh, prophecies of, as I said, the beginning and the key word, Throughout the prophecies, and again, if we had more time, we could go through every one of the of the four, or three or four chapters of redemption and consolation. The key word is lashuv to return. So, for example, at the very beginning of the book, pasuk perak lamid hadavar shayal yomiyau meit adunai lemor, chapter thirty, ko amar adunai leisalimor ketav chadvim elas shidibarti el sefer. I will restore the remnant of Israel. And I will restore them and they will once again inherit the land. And this is a constant theme once again. And then in verse 10, chapter 30, verse 10. V'altechat Yisrael. From the land of their captivity. And they will be in peace. Again, they will return over and over again throughout these Nivuot. Now I want to get to the chapter 31, which is right in the middle of these chapters. And I'm going to focus on it from the perspective of the Haftarah. Chapter 31 is actually a very long chapter, but the rabbis, um, cho- the, the rabbis chose um, 19 of the verses of chapter 21, which is what we're going to focus on today. And, uh, and the chapter is a very famous chapter, chapter 31. It's famous, it has a lot of songs, uh, for those who like songs. For example, we have the famous... Um, uh, passage, Rachel Mivakal Baneha, Rachel cries on her children who haven't, uh, made it back, um, who've gone into exile. We have the song, Koamar Hashem, Matzachain Bamidbar, which as a kid, I, we all, stu- we all learned as a kid. It's not so popular anymore today. We have the song, Vishavu Vanim Ligvulam, which is very popular in Israel and in other places. A lot of songs. Again, anyone who's ever taught in uh, elementary school or high school knows that it's often a very good thing to use the songs and to see if they're interpreted correctly. Yes, question. Do you always presume that his prophecies are dealing in the short term or far in the future long term? Uh, could be both. could be that they originally were in the short term and then eventually when things didn't work out, they also were then reinterpreted for the long term. That's certainly the way Chazal, the rabbis, certainly read Tanakh. That they had maybe an immediate you know, potential, like the rabbis say, Chizkiyahu could have been Mashiach, but... Now that he's not Mashiach, we project it to the future about what could be in Jewish history. So, so this is a very famous parak. 
But I'd like to put that to the side, all the songs and stuff, and try to really try to understand uh, what's going on in this chapter and uh, really really see what's what the the thrust of it. And then at the at towards the end of the year, I'd like to suggest a couple of um, new ideas in terms of why the rabbis chose this as the Haftarah. But first, what I'd like to do is is study the chapter in in itself, and then go into uh, why exactly uh, why exactly we uh, we choose this. But again, just to show you the connection, the interweaving of this chapter to what we just started with. Take a look, for example, at the end of chapter 31. A part which is not part of the Haftorah, but again, I just want to show you that it, it comes back in verse 26. Chapter 31, verse 26. Perk Chav, Perk Lamed Alf, Pasuk Chavav. Hinei yamim ba'im ne'um Adonai vizarati et beit Yisrael et beit Yehuda zera adam vizera behema. Vehaya ka'asher shakadati alehem lintosh vilintots vilarosu lahavid. You hear that? From the beginning of chapter one. Just as I shakadati, I was very, very diligent. God says I was very diligent to make sure to destroy and uproot and destroy and totally destroy, whatever term, a lot of synonyms, uleharas smash, and to make evil, Cain eshkod, so I will be diligent, livnot v'lintoa, adonai. So you see here, the use of the language of chapter 1, the chapter 31, is a, mish, is a vision of a reversal. I'm going to stop all of this stuff, I'm going to stop all of the destruction, and one day I'm going to go back and God is going to fulfill that destiny of nevuat, of nechama, of consolation, of redemption, of rebuilding. I also want to point out, and this will be a segue into the beginning of chapter 31, let's also remember a little bit about Jewish history. When Jeremiah comes onto the scene in chapter six, uh, in the, the 620s um, BCE, Remember that there's no longer a northern kingdom. Malchut Yisrael, the northern kingdom, is already gone a hundred years. However, in the consciousness of the people, and in many nivuot of that period of time, the first step of Geulah, the first step of redemption, was the restoration of those people. They weren't yet, quote-unquote, lost tribes. They were seen as still within the possibility of redemption. And therefore, notice, for example, in the verse I just read you, He talks about the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In Jeremiah's worldview, the Geulah, the redemption, is not just going to be for what we know today as the descendants of Judah, it's also going to be the restoration of the whole of the house of Israel. This is, you have to understand that Jeremiah, and there's a number of passages in the book of Kings and in the book of Divrei HaYamim, which indicate that they saw it as a real potential. Yoshiahu, the great king Josiah, when he was starting, when he was able to be successful, 
he also was able to reclaim the land of the northern tribes. It's explicit in the book of Divrei Hayamim. And they believed that they might be able to restore and return the Jews of the tribes who were in Assyria and other places of exile. And so this is something real and concrete in the consciousness of the Nevi'im of that time. And so when we start chapter 31, we have to remember that this is a very important theme. And the number, second introduction, when we talk about Malchut Yisrael, when we talk about the kingdom of the northern tribes, what other names do we have for the northern tribes in Tanakh? What other names? Shamron is the city, the main city, but what else? Ephraim. We said that. Malchut Yisrael, the north, right? Northern tribes is, is not really a term that we use uh, in, in Tanakh. But Malchut Yisrael, which we just saw, Beit Yisrael, and Ephraim. Why Ephraim? Because Ephraim is the major tribe that split off from Yehuda, because Yosef, right? Ephraim is the, was the, not the firstborn, but became the firstborn of Joseph. Remember the switcheroo that Yaakov did, that Jacob did? So Ephraim in Tanakh is the other name for Malchut Yisrael. So when you see the name Ephraim floating around, that means the focus is going to be on Malchut Yisrael, on the northern tribe and on the, the kingdom of Israel. Okay, now we can start looking at chapter 31. So first of all, whenever we look at a, a, a perek, whenever one analyzes a perek, one first tries to just very superficially see the divisions. Are there any natural divisions in the chapter that can help us divide it into units which are more digestible and understand that there's a progression? Nevuot are poetry. And poetry, biblical poetry, has progression, has patterning, has playing off. And that's an important thing. So that we don't get into the classic, you know, yeshiva high school model of, oh, the prophet, the Navi saying the same thing over and over again. He's just saying to do tshuva, which is a very superficial reading of prophecy. So let's try to, let's try to, you know, pick it apart one by one. First of all, by externals and then by internals. So if you look at your Tanakh, You'll notice headers. This is a technique we all we study. Headers. Headers mean you have the beginning of a unit. For example, Ko Amar Hashem, thus saith the Lord, is a header. Okay? Or Divrei, blank, 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 is a header. The words of this. Or Hine, ba, 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 is usually a header. We're starting a new unit within the larger unit. So if you look, for example, at chapter 31... Verse 1 starts with Koamar Hashem, so said the Lord. And verse 6 starts again, Kikoamar Hashem. Verse 9 starts with Shimu Devara Donai. Verse 14, Koamar Hashem. Verse 15, Koamar Hashem. And we'll stop at, at we'll stop with verse 19, Neuma Donai, which is where the Haftarah ends. Uh, according to, uh, I think, all um, almost all the Eidot, all the various communities that read this on Rosh Hashanah. So we have a number of units. So I'll divide it into unit 1 through 5, Pasuk Aleph to Hey, Pasuk Vav to Chet, Pasuk Tet through Yud Gimel, 
Pasuk Yudalid, and then Pasuk Tedvav through Yutet. These are all the units of the Perek. Sure, I'm going to put it on the blackboard in a second. Okay? So these are all the units. And again, the Tanakh uses a structure. So let's do that. Let's see how we'll give each one a name as we go through it, a Kotera. We'll give each one a heading, and we'll try to see the development in each, uh, in each, uh, in each uh, development. Okay. okay, so let's start at the first few Psukim. Let's start at the first few Psukim, which again, I want to read as a unit. Koma Adunai Matzachin Bamidbar Amsri Dekharev Haloch Lagiel Yisrael. So we begin, it's unclear... I'm sorry? Yeah. Okay. I'll translate in a second. Okay. Um, so what's unclear in the text before we, is who's speaking. It's always in prophecy, you're never sure. Is it God? Is it the prophet? Is it, especially in poetry, is it the Jewish people? There's a lot of characters that could float around in prophecy. The prophet, the people of Israel, God, right? A lot of people. So you always have to identify who's talking. So this, again, I want to, there's many, many interpretations. I want to present just the, the Derech HaMelech, the simple reading, which I think is the most convincing reading. So, Koamar Hashem, so said the, the Lord. So, so far, God is talking. Koamar Hashem, Matzah Bamidbar, a people found favor in the eyes, in my eyes, in the eyes of God, in the desert. Am Echarev, a people that was once, that just avoided, that were Sridim, Sridim, Survivors that survived the sword. Haloch lahargiel Israel, and now I'm going to go, and I'm going to comfort lahargia, comfort ragua, tia ragua, right? Be comforted, be uh, somebody who was not, who was anxious, somebody who was in a state of panic, is now being told by God, I'm going to lahargio Israel. I'm going to go and comfort Israel. Notice the term is not Yaakov. Term is Israel. It's not Yehuda. It's Israel, which itself is very interesting. It means exactly the last destruction. Again, what I want to point out is the focus is on Israel, the northern kingdom, Malchut Israel, not on the southern kingdom. And it's interesting. Who's it talking about? When is this people that was in the desert? Now, if you woke me up three o'clock in the morning, I would have said. When was the people in the desert? Yitziat Mitzrayim. When they left Egypt. So on one level, I would have said, the people that left Egypt. But on the other hand, it talks about Yisrael. It talks about the northern tribes, which means that there may be a double entendre here. It's not just a reference to the distant past. Um, but it's also a reference to exile. To the fact, I'm... Matzachin Bamidbar, a people that's in the wilderness. You know, like today we say, oh, he's been thrown into the wilderness. The wilderness is also a term, not just for the desert, but also for exile. And I can prove it. 
For example, for those who have a Tanakh, if you turn to the book of Yechezkel, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, Yechezkel chapter 20, chapter 20, the key word in that chapter is the word Midbar. The word Midbar appears like 15 times. At the beginning, it talks about the Midbar like we think. The desert that the Jews went out into Egypt, from Egypt. Okay? So for example, in verse, uh, in verse 5, etc. And then it says, blah, blah, blah. let me see if I can find it. Yeah, Pasuk Yud. I took them into the desert. The desert. Midbar Sinai. But then turn to chapter 20, verse 35. When God talks about the future, God says, so there's a contrast between Midbar Ha'amim, the desert of the nations, which means Galut, and the Midbar, the desert of leaving Egypt. So, the nation that survived the sword, I believe is reference here, not just to the Jews of the past, but it's also to the Jews 60 years ago or 70 years ago who went into the desert, the desert of exile. Yisrael who went into exile. And God says now they found favor in my eyes. Keep that in the back pocket. Continues the text. Back to Yirmiyahu. From afar, I see God. Who's talking now? Either the prophet or Israel. Remember, in biblical poetry, it doesn't say, now the character is Israel. It just kind of switches without telling you. God, now the people or the prophet says, from afar, either from distance or time. Merachok, I saw God from afar. Merachok, Hashem near Ali. Vavat olam avtich. Alkein meshachtich chased. Notice another term. So far we've had the term chain. God we found favor in the eyes of God. We have the term love. Ahavat olam ahavtich. I loved you with a great love and you loved me, God. Alkei mishachtich chased. And therefore you have extended to me chesed, loving kindness. So we have love, we have chen, we have chen v'chesed, right? These are all the emotions that are described here. Very interesting. And the text continues. So first of all, notice the progression. Three odes. Ode, ode, ode. If you're just hearing it, it has a real power. Ode, titu. Ode, ode, ode. And notice how it progresses. The first ode has uh, five words to it. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. Ode, evne, four words. Od Evnech Venivnate Betula Israel. The second one has Od Taadi Tupaich Vyatsat Bimchol Mesachakim. The next one has Od Titich Ramim Barei Shamron Natu Notim Notice how the progression is also expressed through literary. 
There's more words in each stanza. Each one goes up, up, up. More and more and more. There's an excitement. Od. Od tit ichramim be'arei shomron. Now notice the phrase, Od evnech v'nitnei bitula Yisrael. The phrase bitula Yisrael, of course, is very appropriate here because of the, it's very appropriate of the notion of love. The image of the Jewish people, but specifically Yisrael, as a bitula, as a virgin, as a wife, as a young wife being taken again. And once again you'll go out. Notice also, there's an image of od evnech v'nivnet. What does that remind you of? What verse in the Bible? Remember that verse about Sarah says to Abraham, Ulai ibanem imena. It's an image of children. It's an image of children being born again. Odev nech doesn't just mean that the walls of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, but you will be rebuilt as a family, as a nation. Now notice, in the first one, it just, there's a kind of static. Odev nech you will be rebuilt. But she doesn't do anything. In the second one, you will get dressed, you will go out and dance. And then, Shomron, again, Shomron, in the Samaria. It's not Yehuda. You will build, you will uh, plant uh, orchards in Hare Shomron. And you will, you will plant V'chileilu. Now, what does that mean, V'chileilu? V'chileilu literally means, not, it comes, what? I know, but what does it mean in this context? It's supposed to be a positive thing. What is V'chileilu? So it refers to, remember in the Bible, it says that you have to, for the first three years, you cannot touch the fruits that you built, that you plant of the trees, what we call orla. And then on the fourth year, you have neta revai. In the fourth year, you can take those fruits and you redeem them, v'chileilu, to redeem in biblical Hebrew, l'chalel, on money, and then you go up to Jerusalem. That's what it's a reference to. That means, this is not going to be just a quick, you'll be in Israel for a few months, and then you'll go home, and you'll be exiled again. You'll be able to plan for many years, to be able to redeem the stuff, and take it to Jerusalem. Ki yesh yom karu notzrim bahar Ephraim, We'll be able to go up to Jerusalem. So you have here an amazing image. You have an image of the rebuilding of the land, plus the rebuilding of the people, plus the idea of being settled, plus the idea of being able to return to Jerusalem. Now, why is that so significant? Why it's significant is if you remember from your Tanakh, when the Jewish people split, when there was a schism between Yeravam, remember, the the son of of Shlomo HaMelech, Rechavam, who didn't listen to the wise older people and he listened to the young people and he split. So one of the things he did was he put up uh, roadblocks to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in order so that the people politically and religiously would focus their attention in Beit El and not in Yerushalayim. So this is an image of the removal of those roadblocks. The removal that once again Beit Israel and Beit Yehuda will be one people and they'll all be in Zion, they'll all be in Jerusalem serving and coming up and bringing their ma'asrot, bringing up their trumot and ma'asrot, their their tithing and their and their uh, produce. Also, I would add, as I mentioned before, there's a double entendre here, in my opinion. This this idea of this idea of the machol of going out 
and machol tupim u'mecholot. What does that remind you of? Tupaich u'mecholot. That's the first. Od ta'adi tupaich v'yatsat b'mechol misachakim. When was the last time we had that conjunction in the Bible? Miriam. At Yitziat Mitzrayim. Remember I keep talking at the Exodus. Vateitzei Miriam bitupim u'mecholot. She went out with tupim cholot, with uh, symbols and dancing, and led the women. So you have here an amazing image. On the one hand, I keep saying, you have the image of Yitziat Mitzrayim, but you also have the image of this new redemption. And it makes perfect sense because in Tanakh, the ultimate redemption is always compared to the original redemption. It's either going to be like the original redemption or even better than the original redemption. For those who don't want the key verse, take a look at the book of Micha, the book of Micah, Perek Micha, chapter 7. This is like one of those key psukim you got to know in order to understand Tanakh. Perek Zayin, Pasuk Tetvav, where God says, Ki that I will, like the days of Egypt, I will show you miracles. The ultimate redemption is parallel to the original redemption. And that's why there's so many images of Exodus language. So the first image, the first section of this chapter is all about recalling the past, but also recalling the immediate past. It's Yitziat Mitzrayim, but it's also the redemption and of the Jews in Ephraim, Yisrael, the Jews who are in Assyria. It has the echoes of Yitziat Mitzrayim, and it also has love, chain, chesed. What's another word I would have expected? Rachamin. Guess what? It's going to come at the end of this chapter. Chain, chesed, ahava. Love. Love. The relationship of a, of a man to a woman. Of children. Keep that in the back pocket. That's the first one. But this is an image of what, what will be. It's an introduction. But it's not yet happening. The second stage is already we're on the move. Verse 6 through verse 8. And verse... I'm sorry? Yeah, sure. Is his target audience those Jews that they say he brought back from the northern kingdom? Or is it talking to Judeans? It's talking to the Judeans about what's going to happen. And this is... Right. Right. Chazal go further and say he already started to bring them back. But no, this is talking to the Judeans, I think. But Okay. So now the text continues. In the second one... We're already in the process of this happening. Again, in prophecy, you have an image of it happening. Adunai, verse 6. Ronu liyakov. So says the Lord, cry out from the hilltops, sing with gladness. Salu barosh koyim. Cry out, hashmiu halilu. Vimru, hosha adonai etamcha etshei Israel. People should cry out, the Lord God, has saved his people. Notice the progression. In the first, in the first stage, it was Koamar Hashem, Am Siride Charev. Am is very neutral. It's not Amcha, my people. It's not, it's Ha'am, the people. In the second one, the person says, Hosea et Amcha Israel, your people. There's a more of a possessive. There's a progression. There's a classic trope of biblical poetry. You move from the more... Amcha et Sheiri Israel, the remnant of Israel. 
Now we have the concrete description. Eretz Tafon is Ashur, is Assyria. I will bring them from the north. I will bring everybody, the blind and the cripple, the pregnant and the... Why do we need to know that? What's the importance of that? On a simple level. Yeshayahu was that it w- it we would be healed from all that. But what's the Navua here? What's the purpose of this Navua? Nobody's left out. It's not just the elite who can buy apartments in Mamila. Okay? It's everybody. It's everybody. Even the weakest members of the society are going to be able to come back to Israel. Everybody. Kahal Gadol Yashuvuhena. They're going to come back with crying and supplication. Now, what does that mean? Crying? Why would you cry? Because that's the real, that's real emotion. You both cry, and you also, so you cry about the past. Maybe you're crying tears of joy. Maybe you're crying because of the people who couldn't make it with you. Maybe you're afraid. That's the reality of when people are, are redeemed. There's a mix of emotions. They're going to come straight without any any obstacles. And all of a sudden we have a turn. I became a father. In the first section, it was the image of man-woman. I will build from her again. You have the love image of man-woman. In the second stanza, you have the image of father-son. Ephraim, again, we've already had Shomron, Yisrael, Ephraim. I don't think it's up for discussion that this prophecy is about the northern tribes. It's not about the southern tribes. And he was my Bechor. Yes? I just want to comment on the term Sarid in the previous one. Sure. And here it's the Sherit. Correct. There's a certain movement here as well. Correct. Sarid sounds you're just... That's right. And here it's more. It's She'erit Yisrael. Correct. Correct. There already something positive is going on. Correct. Now. But there was no return of the Unfortunately, this prophecy didn't happen. Yes. There are a lot of prophecies in the Bible that haven't happened yet. <laughs> That's a chiddush too. I mean, <laughs> look around us, you know. <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. Oh, I hope so. Yes. Baruch Hashem. So now we have, we come to the third section. The third section, it continues, and this time already, the prophet imagines what it's like in Israel when they've returned. So notice you see the progression. First we have this Hatzhara, we have this declaration of God remembers them, and He remembers the love they showed. Just parenthetically, the love they showed, that God shows to them, reminds us of the beginning of Yirmiyahu. Zacharti lach, there's no doubt that there's a connection. Here it's the other side of it. It's not the love that you showed, but it's the love that God shows. It wasn't just the people that loved God, but God loved the people. I loved you forever. I'm not going to give up on you. Therefore I extend chesed to you. Which is of course a play on Ko Hashem, 
Zachayla Chesed Nureich, the Chesed of the people. Now it's the Chesed of God. The Hava of the people, of Kulotaych, of getting married. Now it's the Hava of God. There's no doubt that it's playing off of that. Now we come to the third stage. In the third stage, the people are already back in Israel. Shimu Dvar Adonai Goyim Vigidu Bayim Bemerchak Vimru Mizaire Yisrael, the one who first, the one who Mizare, Mizare like Zore, the one who tossed them apart all over all over the world. Yikabtsenu Ushmaro Kiroe Edro, and will protect them like a roe, like a, a shepherd. He protects them. For he redeems Jacob and protects him and redeems him from one. And they will be joyous on the heights of Zion. And they're going to have practical, not just going to be learning all day, they're going to have practical tuv, good things. They're going to have all the, all the, all the fat of the land, all the wonderful things of the land. And they, their, their very souls will be like a, an overflowing gan, like an overflowing, um, whatchamacallit, uh, garden. Well watered. And now we come back to the image of the betula, the image of the, az tismach betula b'machol, u'bachurim muzkinim yachdav. Then, the Bitula will once again be joyous in her dance. And the Bachurim is Kenim Yachdav, Hafachti Avlam Sason, and I will turn their, their mourning to, to, to joy. Venichamtim Simachtim Yigonam, Veriveti Nefesha Kohanim, and I will overflow the soul, the soul of the Kohanim, Deshen, full of good things. Vaami et Tuvi Yizbao. God is talking. My people will be satisfied with my good. Notice again the progression. We began with Am, then someone said, God, this is your people. Hosea et Amcha. And now we finally have God Himself declaring, Ami, it's my people. It's beautiful. A beautiful progression of God taking them. This reminds us very much of after the sin of the golden calf when Moshe argues with God. And God says, Lech red kishichet Amcha. Moshe, it's your people. And, God, and Moshe says, no. And you can't do anything. And he says, this is your Am. And finally at the end, that God once again, it's the same model in terms of the progression of the Bible. But in the midst of this vision is the reality. And the reality is unfortunately not that way. And this is classic biblical poetry. In the reality... What do we have? Ko amar Adonai, kol b'ramani shma, nihi b'chitam rurim, Rachel mevakal banea, me'anali nachem al banea k'yenena. What we hear instead is of, is a, and notice again the progression, classic biblical poetry. You start with a voice, we don't know what is it. Is it the voice of a human being? Is it the voice of a wolf? Is it the voice of a sheep? It's a voice. We don't even know what the voice is doing. Is it laughing? Is it crying? Is it talking? It's a voice. Stage one. Stage two. It's crying. It's not joyous. And it's not the crying of tears of joy. 
which is contrast to the Jews returning. Here, it's Rachel Mivaka. Third stage, we identify a person actually. Who is this person crying? Stage one, again, call ambiguous. What is it? Stage two, it's a Bechi Nehi. It's a whale. Stage three, we know exactly who it is and why they're crying. Classic biblical poetry development. So now we've already had the image of the lovers, man and wife. We've had the image of the father, and we have the image of the mother. We have all the images of love coming. It's the image of what could be. It hasn't happened yet. But in the midst of that, we're confronted with the reality. The reality is not that way. And many people are going to give up hope. In the midst of, you know, when you say to someone, yes, it'll be okay, but the mitziut, the reality, isn't confronting us. It's hard to believe that. It's hard. And God, and again, it's a tech, it's, it, it's, it's also for, for literary effect. It like shatters you. You expect now everybody's under their tree and everybody's happy and they have deshen and they're, they got, everybody's got, you know, wonderful and they're going out to the cafe and everybody's happy. But the reality is not that way. Now notice also, I just want to mention, so I said, there's the image of the, of the, uh, the image of the lovers, the image of the father, the image of the mother. But just interestingly enough, you should notice Rachel here, Rachel, of course, is the wife of Jacob, of Yaakov in Tanakh, right? There's language here which certainly echoes Jacob as well. Because remember, Jacob also lost children. Jacob, and he did not want to be comforted. Remember that? This language is a direct copy of the story of Joseph. What happened in the story of Joseph in chapter 37? Joseph is gone. Hayeled einenu va'ani anaba. The child is gone. Remember that language? In the story of the Joseph story, in chapter 37. And va'yinachem va'yima'en lehinachem. And Jacob does not want to be consoled. This is a direct quote. Basically, Rachel has become Jacob here. In this story. And who's Joseph? Joseph is the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. But for our purposes, Ephraim. For the northern tribe. So it makes perfect sense. Yosef. There was once before in Jewish history that someone went into exile. The paradigmatic. And we thought he was lost. Enenu. We don't know where he is anymore. And Yaakov refuses. It's too painful to be consoled. Clear echo of that. Ko amar Hashem, and God responds, Stop. Stop crying. Not going to get into the deep, there's a three-way debate amongst the commentaries, what pulatech means here. There is reward. The simple reading is, Dabarbanel, there is reward for your pula. Pula here is the crying and the devotion and the commitment to your children. They're going to return. Just like Joseph returned. And 
And not only that, Shamoa Shamati, God says, I heard Ephraim meet Nodade, Yisartani Vaser. Ephraim declares, God, you have afflicted me, you put me into exile, and I learned the lesson. Return me, and I have returned, for you are my God. After I returned, after I've turned away, I learned my lesson. I I hit my head on my side. I have, I have, I have taken upon myself the cherpa, the, uh, the shame of my youth. Now, parenthetically, that also is a, a reference to the Joseph, Joseph narrative. Remember when Joseph was born? Why is Joseph called Joseph in Hebrew? Yosef. Asaf, nope. Asaf Hashem et Cherpati. God has brought in my shame. That's Yosef. And now the children of Yosef Ephraim, when they learn the lesson, they have accepted upon themselves the shame of whatever they did wrong in exile, and they come back. And it ends with that famous verse, a song which we love. But now you understand, it begins, it ends where it began. How precious, how darling is Ephraim, my child. He's a, a child of my delight, that I play with. When I think of him, I remember him, Ode. We close where we began, Ode, Evnech, Venivnet, Ode, Tapi, Tupaych, Ode. Zachorez Kerenu, Ode. I will remember him again. Remember we started with Chain? The chapter begins with Chain. It talks about Chesed. God showed Chesed. God showed love. God declares, I loved you forever. I never abandoned you. And it ends with, I remember you. Which, of course, is the most perfect image for a mother on a child, because what is the womb called? The womb is called Rechem, and that's where the word Rachamim comes from. Rachamim is the loving kindness of a mother that emerges, a child that emerges from the womb. So we have all the language. We have Chain, Chesed, Rachamim, Ahava. It's love. It's all the love relationships. The relationship of, of father, the, father to son, Wife to husband, husband to wife, and mother to child, which is what it, which is the most, of course, the most awesome one, the most intense one that can be in existence. Now this is old background. We haven't said anything yet. Okay. Um, now we have to explain what exact. So why did the rabbis choose this haftorah? There's so many beautiful haftorahs for the haftorah of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so how much time do I have left? 15 minutes. minutes. Okay, I have enough time. Okay. So, so the rabbis in the Talmud already said something very similar. I mean, similar. They said one, there's one line in the Talmud. It says, on Rosh Hashanah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, you read the Haftorah, Zachor ez kerenu. That's it. That's the line. They don't even tell you how much of it you read. 
Usually you're supposed to start from... They don't tell you. They say you read the Aftorah of Zechorah's Korean. Do you read the whole chapter? They just say that verse. Now, the simple reason we chose this Haftorah is because it says the word Zachorez Kerenu. Since Rosh Hashanah is called in the Bible Yom Azikaron, the day of remembrance, therefore, it makes sense to read it. Okay. But whenever I, when I read that Gemara, it didn't satisfy me. There are many, many chapters in the Bible that have the term Zechira and God remembering us. There are many, many sections. And it also, why specifically on the second day of Rosh Hashanah? Why not do the first day of Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> Meaning, it doesn't, it doesn't really explain that. So I would like to suggest um, two ideas that I think um, emerge organically from how the rabbis read this text. Okay? And, uh, okay. So the first is I'd like to build on what the rabbis said. Yes, it talks about zechira, it talks about remembering. But one of the things that the rabbis, interestingly enough, did also just uh, is that remembers if one looks at the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah, what we call the Zichronot passage. The Zichronot passage, for those of you who remember it by heart, you remember, and everything is in front of you. Very, very scary. When we start off Zichronot on Rosh Hashanah, it's the scariest thing in the world. You see everything, God. Ein da'avar ne'elam mimeka. Mimcha. Nothing is hidden for you. Whoa. That is scary. God sees everything. So if that's true, then we really have no shot. But all of a sudden, in the middle of the introductory passage to Zichronot, we shift. And for the first verse, we say, right before the first verse, we quote, after God says, you know, Ma'ase Adam v'tachbulotav, it's really scary. Then it says, All of a sudden, there's a wonderful little shift, a theological shift. God doesn't just remember Stam. He just doesn't remember all the bad things we do without any evaluation. God is biased. You remembered Noah with love. It never says the word love in the story of Noah. It says, And he decides to take the wind and get rid of the water. That's what it says. But the, but the, the, the Paitan, the person who authored that introduction to Zichronot, understood very deeply that God's involvement in the land, and when it says in Tanakh, that's a, a Zichira of Ahava, of love. And so the first thing I want to say is, this chapter talks about Zichira, but Zichira with love. Talks about Komar Shematzachain Bamidbar, Chain, Chesed, Rachamim, Ahava. It's Zachorez Kerenhu, Alkain, Arachamenhu. It's not just Stam Zechira, it's not just Stam remembering, it's remembering in the position and in the context of love, which is the essence of what we are trying to get at 
in the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And parenthetically, if I mention the word Rachamim, and I mention the fact that we're supposed to, that there's an echo here of the Joseph story, and remembering, and Rachel remembers, remember the phrase there, Vayizkor Elohim et Rachel, Vayiftachet Rachma. And he opened up her womb. The Rachamim that brought Joseph into the world, that brought Ephraim into the world. But I want to go further. And I'd like to suggest uh, a more radical reason why the rabbis chose this Haftarah. I mean, I think this is true, but I think there's another reason why the rabbis chose this Haftarah for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Because the Haftarah has to relate also to the Kriyat HaTorah. That's another thing. It's not just to the day. It has to relate to the specific Kriya. What do we read on the second day of, of Rosh Hashanah? What's the Kriyat Torah? The Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac. It seems to me that the rabbis here, by choosing this Haftorah, were basically saying that one should read this chapter of the prophet as a riff, like in music, as a riff on the Akedah. This is a poetic reimagining of the Akedah story. And there's tremendous language here that is echo of the Akedah. I'm just going to mention six or seven phrases that clearly, if someone is reading this with the Akedah in mind, they hear it. First of all, from a thematic point of view, What's the Akedah? The Akedah is the story. Again, there's many messages of the Akedah, but on a basic level, the Akedah is the story of the son who's almost lost to the father and is returned at the last minute to live on forever and ever and be the father of the nation and the destiny and part of the covenantal family. Restored to the... Now, if we look at the language of this Haftorah, what's this Haftorah? Let's start from the beginning. Merachok Hashem near Ali. From afar I saw God. Vayar Avraham etamakom me rachok. From distance. And what do the rabbis say? He saw the Shekhinah. He saw the mountain enveloped with God's presence. And if we continue, and of course, me Hashem near Ali. Near Av, anybody that ever studied the Akedah knows that the key word, as Buber pointed out, the key root is Ra'ah. Bahar Hashem Lokimata. Any form of the word Lirot and Yir'ah is constantly used in the binding of Isaac's story. To see and not to see. To see and be seen by God. Secondly, of course, Yitzchak is described here for the only for the only time in the entire Bible. Kachna et bincha et yechidcha asher ahavta, the child that you loved so dearly. Three, in the Haftorah we find over and over again the reference a number of times to to the child, to Israel as the child and God as the father. And Bain, Ha Bain Yakili Ephraim, anybody that reads through the story of the Akedah, Beno, 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 Avi, 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 Ben, 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 the key word 
Another one of the key words is child, father, father, child. And of course, the idea here, a couple of times, the language here, talks about the Jews coming back. And notice the language in, uh, in verse... In verse 7. And then once again, later on, verse 12. The young and the old together. Remember the story of the Akedah? Twice, when they go up together. The child has been abandoned, Einenu. And the people are the people who are saved from the sword. Am Sride Charev. The people that have just, the last minute they were saved from the sword. What does that conjure up? It's the national image of the Akedah. The child who at the last moment was saved from the sword, from the Machelet. The last moment. There here is a national kind of Akedah. To read the story of the exiles in Akedah. The Akedah has been used in many different ways. I think Chazal were reading Yirmiyahu's take as a take on the Akedah. And they will come back to the mountain of Zion. Go up on the mountain of Zion. They will trek up to the mountain. So I think Chazal here in addition to just reading all the wonderful ideas that are in the text, in this text about love, the the unaltering love that God had for the Jewish people, the unalterable chesed and rachamim that he felt for the Jewish people, the fact that it was a zechira, a remembrance of Ahava, you also have echoes of the Akedah, you have echoes of the binding of Isaac in the national dimension. Rosh Hashanah, is the day of the national dimension. And finally, the third reason why this Haftorah is is appropriate for Rosh Hashanah, third or fourth, I don't know what's it, third, is, fourth, is because two things. One is, in the midst of this redemption, in the midst of all this joy, there's also a lot of crying, b'chi, b'tachanunim, which is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is one of those complex days of both crying and happiness. The rabbis have constant debates about are you allowed to fast on Rosh Hashanah? Do you have to eat on Rosh Hashanah? Can you fast half a day? Is it a Yom Simcha? Does it not? You have this whole thing of joy and crying together, which leads to tshuva, which leads to repentance. Because at the end of this chapter, Ephraim expresses you gave me Musar, you gave me you gave me um, discipline and I was disciplined. Hashiveni Ashuva. Bring me back and I will return to you. Isn't that the Pasuk we love on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Shuvo Ailaiv, Ashuva Ilechem. Return to me. Kiachare Shuvi Nichamti. After I did tshuva, I regretted everything I did. Boshti v'gam nichlamti. What's busha? Shame and regret. That's the essence of tshuva, charata. This is a perfect haftorah for the day of Rosh Hashanah. It has all these elements. It's perfect. 
Zechira, Zechira Ba'ahava, Shuva, Charata, Busha, Akeda, Rosh Hashanah. All these things, I think. Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry. It's the beginning. I okay. Say there, but in the rabbinic and in the in the rabbinic reading, it also had elements of that. Certainly, in the beginning of it, there are many many. You know, aseret yemei tshuva is a rabbinic phrase. It's used already. It's all there. That part you did. You don't have to. But all that I think was part of the tarovet, part of the reason why the rabbis chose this as the haftarah. Thank you very much for your participation.